Father, forgive us for falling short of the intention of our heart and the desire of our minds that indeed in all we do, we would honor You. We confess our proneness to fail. We confess that we are easily drawn away from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And yet, Father, we do thank you for the righteousness of Christ by which we are robed and in which we are plunged so that we do stand before you a just people and we recognize there is no righteousness of our own that can merit such a salvation. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that brings salvation. Thank you for your grace that enables us to walk in the truth and to strive to honor you in all that we do. As we open the scriptures now, Lord, teach us and teach us how to live in a way that pleases you according to the instruction of your word. That we would avoid being sucked into the mold of the world, embarrassing your name, wasting your work of grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, committing ourselves to the obedience of the word. Amen. Well, I mentioned earlier that we had a great week this week of Pioneer Camp. Pioneer Camp's a lot of fun. Just the, the aura, the, the imagery of the pioneers. It's, a, it's an awful good time for kids, and I think the staff enjoyed as well as we have sessions on trapping, and we have BB gun rifle range open, and archery, and outdoor cooking. My boy Jonathan, I asked him, what was your favorite seminar? He said, outdoor cooking. You get to eat. And... Uh, they made donuts in a big old kettle full of grease, hot grease over an open fire. We only burned two or three kids, didn't we, Pastor Billy? Four, he says. Now, they were eating those, I called them grease gobs. They were donuts. I want to tell you kind of a funny moment at Pioneer Camp this week. In the mornings, we would have what we call rally time to kind of give the rundown on the day and introduce kind of our theme, our emphasis of the day. On Thursday morning, it was so wet that we didn't sit, the benches at the outdoor chapel were wet enough that we had all the kids in the pavilion, and most of you can kind of picture our pavilion, kind of long and narrow, and filled with kids there, and out on the lawn, we had a canoe on the grass there, and in front of the canoe, we had a spread of duck decoys, and the canoe was draped with camouflage burlap, and Pastor Billy and Richard Beto were in there with their hunting clothes on and they had BB guns for shotguns. And, and the point was that um, Richard was trying to teach Pastor Billy how to lure ducks into their set, to call ducks and fool them. We were using as our theme verse out of Proverbs that day, Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And so Pastor Billy got his crow call out and he's honking for crows and all the kids are watching out in this imaginary pond and imaginary duck hunters and Richard's, no, 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 you can't call ducks in with a crow call and finally got the right call in his mouth and Pastor Billy's tooting a tune with it, you know, and Richard got him shut down on that and finally he got him to, to understand that if you're going to fool ducks and bring them in and think they're real ducks, you've got to sound like real ducks and quack like a real duck and... So they got to calling ducks, and here the kids were watching. And on the other side of the pavilion had Kevin Tucker with a couple decoys in his hand. And 
Finally, Mr. Rich hunkered down and said, here they come, here they come. And Kevin chucked those decoys over the pavilion roof and they came flying in and they jumped up with their imaginary BB gun shotguns and fooled them their ducks. And I was thinking, all the different applications to the imagery of the deception of decoys. And that's a lot what we've been talking about in our Genesis series and Sunday mornings. We've been talking about how easy it is to think of things as being okay or correct or right. And then the wake up someday and realize that all along we're not doing things God's way. We've been deceived by the world in which we live. And it's not the way that it appears as though it were ducks coming in to land and a pond where they think they're going to make new duck friends and nibble on some corn and algae and whatever ducks eat in a pond and, and then they find out they get a belly full of lead instead. I invite you this morning to turn to Genesis chapter 2 and as you turn to Genesis 2, I want to talk about yet another topic that I find quite interesting and even a little bit technical where we see in our Bibles where Genesis, the foundation laid there, is quoted throughout the Scripture and it's referred back to as a pattern for how God's people are to live. One of the things I think that we are susceptible to buying into the deception of the world is the, the use of our time in the sense of our priorities And we get ourselves caught up in so many things that we find that we're pedaling our bicycle as fast as we can in this world. And the next thing you know, the Lord is just an addendum to our schedule. And He's not our passion. He's not our priority. And our lives often look like the world around us. And we realize that we've ended up being sucked into the mold and being impressed into the mold of the world. And we live with much the same value system, much the same pace the busyness, the passion of our lives very much is reflective of the passion of someone who doesn't even know God. And yet we find in Genesis chapter 2, we find some interesting verses that he's going to build a case for the fact that we are to be people who make a priority out of our worship of God. I want you to see how this fits in. And to break down our outline this morning, there's three parts to it. And really, we could get more involved in this often, and and I was tempted to have multiple messages, but I think we can accomplish our purpose today. And I want us to, to look at three parts by breaking it into days. The first point of our message is a look at the seventh day. Okay, so the seventh day, and then we're going to see how that transitions into the Sabbath day. Point number two will be the Sabbath day, and what was that all about? And how did that depend upon, and how was it built on the seventh day? The seventh day to the Sabbath day, but then it raises questions as to, oh, by the way, what day of the week is this? The first day of the week. And what day was the seventh day of the week? Yesterday, Sabbath day. We didn't worship, did we? We're worshiping on the first day of the week. How do we go from the seventh day to the Sabbath day, to the third point of our outline will be the Lord's Day. And how believers in the church worship on the Lord's Day. There's a couple different themes that we'll bump into and instruction that we'll receive in our message today, but I want you to, I want you to pretend you're ducks a little bit today and that we're, 
We hear the call of the world. You know, come on in, be like us, come over here. And then we find that though it seemed right, it's the way of destruction. And, you know, for many of us, by ignoring the instruction of God's word and, and by our passions and our priorities, taking on something other than the, the love of God, that I love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and then I love my neighbor as myself, that sometimes I have to stop and think. And I have to admit to myself, you really can't say that my love for God drives me that I am passionate and that it's seen in the priorities of my life because I am just as busy as my neighbors chasing after all the things that the world chases after. The Lord gives us instruction to help us avoid these things. That's one of the big lessons that we want to see this morning. So we're in Genesis chapter 2 and we want to look at the seventh day. The seventh day. It's kind of an odd couple of verses. Here we are talking about creation And we've talked about a variety of things. And now we've been talking about how the word and the world collide. And I think you'll see that here today, that we aren't called to live like the rest of the world. We're called to have different passions and priorities. But chapter 2, verse 1 of Genesis says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. It was all completed. Verse 2, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We'll just stop right there and just use these these three verses. Do you see what I mean by they're kind of funny or maybe even a little puzzling? I mean, get the picture. We've seen this great six days of creation where out of nothing God has spoken and He has blessed it and it's been good and He's created the man and He's realized that's not good and He's added the woman and then He said it's good. And, and then it's the seventh day. And when you read these verses and if you isolate them from the context of Scripture and who God is, you might get the picture if you were picking it up for the first time and say... Man, it was a lot of work to pull that all off in six days. And now on the seventh day, God says, Whoo-wee, I'm glad I'm done. I'm going to rest. Get me some iced tea and sit down and catch up with myself a little bit. But that's nonsense, isn't it? It didn't drain God's resources of energy or um, material to create the world. It was a thought. It was a word. It was His plan. Bing, bam, you know? There was no energy expended. So what do we see here about the seventh day? I think that one thing we need to understand is how he's using this word rested because it gets used later on in Scripture as well. The word rested here in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 has the idea of a cessation, of, of a ceasing, and it stopped. Notice that's what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth, verse 1, were completed in their vast array. They were completed. And by the seventh day, God had finished, see it there, the work that he had started and that he had been doing. I want you to see under the seventh day two things. Number one, this idea of rest on the seventh day is an indicator of, number one, completion. It is a recognition that all that God has done is complete. It's finished. It's the way things are supposed to be. There's no anomaly. There's no mistakes. Everything is finished, complete. Work is done. And now work can cease. 
And that's what he said. God had completed it and the work ceased. He rests from his work. I've been busy with my project. Now I'm done. Now I step back. I cease from it. I rest from the work. Secondly, I want you to see under the seventh day that it's a day of consecration. Look further in the verse. Verse 2 again, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In other words, he didn't do anything on the seventh day as far as creation goes. The Bible doesn't tell us what God did that day. But he didn't do any more creative work. Then verse 3 says, and God blessed the seventh day. Notice he's blessed it. He blessed other things too throughout creation. But now it says, and he made it, what's the next word? Holy. He made this holy day because on it he rested, ceased from his, the completion of his work and all the creating he had done. Somehow in the mind of God on the seventh day, For a specific purpose, and we'll see these purposes later, God had a plan. You know, God doesn't do things just arbitrarily. God always has a scheme in the proper sense of the word. A schematic, a plan, a blueprint. This is how things work. You work six days and then you rest. It's interesting, isn't it? And so the seventh day is represented by the words completion and by the words consecration. It was a holy day. But here we are on the first day of the week, aren't we? We don't consider Saturday a holy day. We consider Saturday a great day to get some things done around the house. And usually we work like crazy all day Saturday. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, how did the seventh day then, it's not called a Sabbath here, even though the word Sabbath is a word that comes from its meaning, which means to cease or be done, How does the seventh day, without any instruction about it, turn into what some of you understand a little bit about the Sabbath day of the Old Testament? Let's do a little Bible study now, and let's move to our second day. First, the seventh day, a day represented by completion and consecration. Now let's look and see how God used that to build the Sabbath rest into the lives of his people. As we look up a few passages of Scripture, and they're all in Exodus, except one is in Deuteronomy. You won't have trouble finding them in your Bible, I don't think, once you find Exodus. I want to show you four practical reasons. Remember I just said that God does not do things arbitrarily. God has a scheme. He has a plan, a schematic. There are many more reasons, but there are at least four good reasons that we're going to see in these passages as to why God instituted the Sabbath among his people, the Israelites. Let's begin in Exodus chapter 16, because it's the next time that this seventh day concept surfaces in Scripture. Read the rest of Genesis, read Exodus, and you get to Exodus 16 before you find out that all of a sudden the seventh day is being talked about again. Let's put Exodus chapter 16 into its context. The word Exodus means what? The idea is the word exit, like an exit sign. Exit from what? The children of Israel had been in captivity in Egypt for over 400 years, and now they had exited the Exodus. They left, okay? And they had been in bondage. They had been in slavery. And remember the waters parted of the sea, and Pharaoh's army came in and was drowned, and God delivered them, and he's leading them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And what a great thing it was, this great exodus. 
But do you remember what the people did right away? They began to grumble. Do you remember that? Here God released them from slavery. And one of the things you need to think about is that in Exodus chapter 16, it hasn't been too many weeks since they were under the lash of Pharaoh's whip. It wasn't very long at all. They still, some of them probably still had wounds from it, you know. And I mean, they had been through the plagues. That had disrupted their work. But during the plagues, remember, the workload was even increased. And now the exodus has taken place. And this is just not that long of a time. And they're in the wilderness heading where? Heading to the promised land, the rest that God would provide And now notice what happens. They grumble about not having food, and so God brings quail, and God gives them manna. Do you remember that? You'll have to read about it later. But that's what's happening in Exodus chapter 16. We'll begin with verse 19, uh, to put it in context, but stick with it. We're going to read through verse 30. And here God begins to talk about the Sabbath for the first time in Scripture. Do we have the Ten Commandments yet, by the way? We don't. This is even before God has given Moses the Decalogue. 19, verse 19, chapter 16 of Exodus. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. That was this manna. No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, verse 20, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Weren't they famous for that? And they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. In other words, why don't you just do what God says? Verse 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. You see, nobody knows what this is. It was man. It was bread from heaven. It was, it was nutritious enough, and it, they were capable of eating it and sustaining their lives, and it came from God's hand. They didn't have to raise it. They didn't have to storehouse it. It was there every day, free. People who had been short of food, even though they grumbled and wanted to go back to the leeks and garlics of Egypt after a while, here God gave them this bread from heaven. Verse 22, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. There's the word Sabbath for the first time in Scripture. The idea of cessation, the idea of resting or ceasing from what you're doing. A, day, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. See, they could do different things with this manna. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. There it is. This day of ceasing before the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, verse 27, here we go again, just like us. Some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Does that remind you of Genesis chapter 2? 
Six days you're to be productive. Six days you're to gather. Six days you're to work. On the seventh day, cease. Well, what's going on here? I think one thing that we need to recognize under this point in Exodus chapter 16 is what I've already said in the context of their slavery. Had they had any days off? Not at all. And in fact, scholars tell us that they worked in Egypt on a 10-day cycle. The Egyptians had tried to create a 10-day work week. You know, that they say that Marx tried this um, in the earlier part of the 20th century to create a 10-day work week, to be more productive, to squish it out of the people. It did not work. Productivity went down. One of the things I think that God is doing right here is, number one reason for the Sabbath is, he, he wants to recalibrate, recalibrate the lives of his people. Look, you've been in slavery, now you're not in slavery. You've had no freedom, now you have freedom. You've been on a 10-day work cycle, now you're on a 7-day cycle. I'm the one who released you, and he's going to use this again as a reminder of the Sabbath. But you're, I'm going to provide for you, I need you to think differently. And so right away in the wilderness, he puts them on a 7-day cycle which makes sense with the, with the lunar cycle. God created everything to work on these cycles. It works. And there's a seventh-day work week because of the order of creation and the whole universe um, pulsates with the seven-day cycle and the 28-day cycle and so forth. And so he says, I want you to recalibrate. You don't work for 100 days straight. You don't work day in and day out. Rethink. You're my people. You're not Pharaoh's people anymore. You're my people. I remember I often hear when I go up to Preston County to deer hunt, Janet's Uncle John on the farm up there, this would be Leonard and Steve Parsons' father, talk about the days when he was driving dump truck over when they were putting in I-79 over by Clarksburg down to Charleston and how he worked. I forget. It's like, I worked 69 days without sleeping, and I took no doze, and, oh, and how many days he went without working, and then he had a wreck and all this. Listen, God didn't design us to do that. You can be proud of that and ruining your liver with no doze or whatever it does do to you. God said, you're my people. I want you to recalibrate the way you think. You'll have a six-day cycle, and then you have a seventh day off. Okay? That's basically what we get out of that, and I'm going to provide for you. Now we go to Exodus 20. Turn a couple pages to Exodus 20. And notice what he says here about the Sabbath. So not only is it to recalibrate the lives and the lifestyle of the people, and to emphasize his provision for them, and secondly, it is to facilitate the worship of his people. It is to facilitate the worship of his people. I want you to notice now we're in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, and he has ten commandments here. The first three, notice them quickly. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse four, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Verse seven, you shall not misuse my name. Verse eight, commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It now becomes a direct command, part of the Ten Commandments. Let's continue to read it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Stop right there. There it is. What has he just done? He's given them three rules in a row. One, two, and three of the Decalogue saying, I am number one. I am one God, the only God. You're not in Egypt anymore. There's not many gods like the Egyptians serve. Those are false gods. 
And you are to direct everything in your being. Your body, soul, and mind is directed to me. And you get nothing else in the way. And then commandment number four, after three words of instruction, number four is a provision of time. Not only are you to worship me and worship me alone, I'm going to give you a day where you're supposed to worship me on that day. I'm going to give you time to worship. Anybody out there with a shortage of time these days? It's so difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to manage our time. Do you find you yourself squeezing in even your worship time? How about your quiet time? How about time to meditate? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind is summed up in the first three commands here, basically. Don't misuse my name. Reflect appropriately on me. No idols. And I am the Lord your God alone. And now have this day where you worship me. And yet our priorities aren't matched up like that, are they? We have so many things that we have to just think down our list of all the things we're involved in and all the things we're engaged in. Well, where is God on my list? I don't know. He's there somewhere. Good thing about grace, isn't it? Amen. But I think there is a model here. I think there is a teaching in the rhythm of creation. Now let's read on in Exodus chapter 22. He wants to recalibrate our lives. He wants to facilitate the worship of his people. But I want you also to see um, here that there's, there's even more to it. He wants to regulate the health of his people. Regulate the health of his people. Notice that it's healthy to take a day off. I already referenced this once. But on it you shall not do any work. Continuing in the 20, Exodus 20 verse 10. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Oh, anybody thinking Genesis all of a sudden? But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There it is. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. You want to know why I'm doing this for you? Because I showed you at creation, this is how I want you to live. Six days of productivity, one day of ceasing from work and turning your direction somewhere else. Interesting, isn't it? And notice that he would, they were to rest their animals. That makes sense, doesn't it? They were to rest their animals and they were to rest their servants and their hired hands and so forth. And even the aliens in the country. Why? I think that God is just wanting to regulate their health. It's not healthy to live an out-of-balance life. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially. We get all out of whack, don't we? Let's go to Exodus chapter 31 now in our study. Exodus chapter 31. Notice what it says. Begin with verse 12. This is an interesting passage of Scripture and it raises a couple questions in our mind. I think you'll find it interesting. Exodus 31, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. 
You see, he does not want them to forget who he is. Remember that I'm the one who makes you holy. You can't make yourselves holy. In fact, if you work all the time, you'll forget about me. Now look how serious God lays this on them. Observe, verse 14, the Sabbath, because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Bam! You keep the Sabbath, or your head's going to roll, right? Continue to read. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. He says it again. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it. Now notice the permanency of this for the Israelites. For generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on, several, on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, there it is. At the very heart of God's covenant with Israel, his chosen people, he said, I want you to do this for as long as you live. I want you to observe the Sabbath, and I'm so serious about you not forgetting me and maintaining the Sabbath that I want you to whack them if they don't keep it. Anybody here want to say amen for grace? For living in the church age and not in the wilderness with Israel? You say, well, wait a minute. If that says forever, what does that mean? It means forever. But who didn't keep their end of the deal? The Israelites, they failed, didn't they? We don't have time to detour here, but it's very fascinating. Do you remember later, remember Daniel and, and in the prophetic books? Remember the boiling pot tipping down from the north? Remember how the, they went into captivity for all those years? You remember what all those years represented? All of the Sabbaths that they neglected. I'll put you in captivity. And their children were slaughtered because of their disobedience. And ultimately, when you get to the New Testament, he even says, I cut you off, and now I let in the Gentiles, these foreign-born ones, and they're now my people. That would be us, the church. And this is a lasting covenant for Israel, but they didn't keep their end of the deal, even though God will. And God has set them aside because of their disobedience, and now we're part of the church. It's a little bit difficult to understand, but certainly out of it we see the gravity of how God intended for them to keep Him in first place in their lives. And to do so, He structured into their week a holy day, the Sabbath day. This is number four. It is to designate the identity of His people. To designate specifically the identity of His people, He established a holy day. Exodus 31. I think I told you there were four. There's five. Let's go to Deuteronomy 5, even though we're running out of time once again. Leviticus numbers Deuteronomy. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, because I think this, and it, this is a point that I referenced earlier. And he references the Sabbath day once again. This is, again, the re-giving of the Decalogues, the re-giving of the Ten Commandments. And, and he adds a little bit of detail here. Notice Deuteronomy chapter 5, fourth commandment, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, verse 12, Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. 
by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter or your manservant, your maidservant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, nor your manservant, your maidservant. May, they may all rest as you do. Now look at verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. What's he talking about? You were once in bondage. You were once in captivity. I let you go. And I took you out in the desert. And on the seventh day, I let your manna not fill with maggots. I've provided you this great salvation by pulling you out of slavery. But they grumbled. And Moses jumped in the middle when God's wrath and Moses interceded. And God would say, get out of the way, they're grumbling, I'm going to wipe them out, I'll start over a new people out of you, Moses. And Moses said, no, these are your people, be, be kind, be graceful, be patient, God. What a picture of Christ, what a picture of us. Anybody out there been lost in, in the slavery, been a slave to sin? Anybody out there been redeemed and taken out, led out by Jesus? And he says, I never want you to forget what I did for you, bringing you out of slavery. Interesting, isn't it? To recalibrate their mindset, to facilitate worship of Almighty God, to regulate their health and take care of them, to designate an identity for his people. The pagans don't do this. They go on a 10-day cycle or something. But you take, or they go, you know, they're doing this or that. You're my people Don't ever forget it. It's a covenant. And then ultimately to celebrate the rescue of his people. To celebrate the rescue and redemption of his people. That's why it went from a seventh day to a Sabbath day. But now you say, well, Pastor Van, are we messing up here? Should we really keep the Sabbath? That's strong language. I want you to notice in the Exodus 31 passage particularly, and in all of these passages, they are given directly to Israel. In the Exodus 31 passage, it was a covenant relationship that he had with Israel. Not with the church. Not since he set Israel aside. And now that Jesus came once for all. We go to the New Testament, we have what we call the Lord's Day. Well, let's just talk briefly about the Lord's Day and let's talk about why the fourth commandment is not something we hold to in the New Testament, in the church, in this age of grace, not law. You see, when it, number one, it was superseded by a great event. And that great event is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, not only did they not keep the Sabbath in, this, in that way in the, that was presented in the Old Testament after the resurrection of Christ... But the early church, they no longer did sacrifices. They no longer had to put up burnt offerings. Read the book of Leviticus. They no longer had to do all of the grain offerings, the meal offerings, the slaughtering of the lambs and the calves and the pigeons and sprinkling the blood. Why? Because once and for all at the cross, the blood had been sprinkled. The ultimate sacrifice had taken place. And all of that was a foreshadowing of what was to come. And now Christ, who is our Passover, he, our Passover, yes, and He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. In Him we can cease from striving. And we get on the good ship grace. And we count on His righteousness. There is no longer a need for the keeping of the Sabbath in the sense of the Old Testament. 
I did not say there is no longer a need for our love for God to be the priority and passion of our lives. But we don't get our heads cut off for not keeping a day. So, number one, it was superseded by a great event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, authenticating the gospel message of Christ alone. Imagine living at that time. Imagine living under the teaching of the apostles. And, oh, they struggled. Think of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Which rules are we supposed to keep and which rules don't we keep anymore? They had a council and they decided, well, don't drink blood. But They never said, don't worship on Sunday. Because that was the model of the early church after the resurrection of Christ, which happened on which day of the week? The first day of the week. And in John at Patmos, he called it the Lord's Day, didn't he? Remember when he had his great revelation of Christ? He was worshiping on what day? The first day of the week? The Lord's Day. And the early church worshipped on the Lord's Day. Why? Because of the completed work of Christ. Secondly, you need to understand that the fourth commandment is the only one of the commandments of the Old Testament, of the Decalogue, that is not retaught in the New Testament. You remember, for example, quickly, the idea of children obey your parents. In the Decalogue, honor your father and your mother. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother that, your days may, that it may go well with you. Repeated right there under the teaching of Paul and the apostles. Emphasized in the early church. No teaching in the pastoral epistles on keeping the seventh day. Why? It was a covenant with Israel. It was not a part of the church. It was superseded by the resurrection. It was not repeated in the, in the New Testament. Thirdly and finally, and we'll look up a few verses in the New Testament to conclude. As I've already referenced, it was not part of the preaching of the apostles. But what did they preach? Well, let's look it up. Let's begin with Romans chapter 14, verse 5, and see what Paul says about days and special days and the Sabbath. Romans chapter 14, verse 5. What does it say? Romans 14.5, here's what the Apostle Paul taught about the Sabbath. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. What's he say? One of them's right and one of them's wrong? No, he says, if you have a conviction, go ahead and worship on that day. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having a special day unto the Lord. It has been characteristic of the church because of the resurrection model of Christ to celebrate the resurrection. And, and one of the, one of the uh, evangelists of the past, I forget his name, believed that you should sing a resurrection hymn to begin every Sunday morning service to never forget the resurrection. Now that's not a bad practice. But Paul says you can choose your day now. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. He who gives thanks to God and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So we have, an, uh, there's some flexibility. You can have a conviction about a day or another person can have a conviction about another day. He doesn't say anything except for the Sabbath. Remember to keep it holy. He doesn't do that. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 2. 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Let's stop at Galatians on the way. 
Galatians chapter 4, I changed the plan. Galatians 4.10, we'll get to Colossians next since it's on the way. Galatians 4, begin with verse 8, look what he says. Galatians 4, verse 8, particularly note verses 10 and 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? What's he talking about? He's talking about the keeping of the Levitical law. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. You know what was going on in Galatians? They were wanting to revert back to the law. It hadn't been that long since they lived under Moses and Abraham and under the law of Leviticus. And now Christ came and redeemed us from the law, set us free, fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish the law, but he fulfilled it and completed it. Set us free from it. And Paul said it to the Galatian believers. He wrote the whole letter because now they're, they're worrying about what day they're worshiping on and whether they're keeping the certain uh, feasts of the moon and, and, the, and the calendar, the religious calendar. And he says, I worry that I've wasted my teaching on you. Don't you know that you're now in Christ? Christ is our rest. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Turn a few more pages. I won't make you turn anymore. Colossians chapter 2, 16 and 17. I don't apologize for it, but we have turned a lot here, and that's good. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul again teaching, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink, or with regard to a religious festival, or a new moon, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about what we've mentioned. Israel wandering under slavery in Egypt. That's a picture. Egypt. That's the old ways. Slavery. That's our bondage to sin. Moses, he's a type of Christ, isn't he? Yes, they really lived. But in the New Testament, they're, they're looked at as a foreshadowing of things to come. But we got a new Moses, didn't we? Who led us out of the wilderness, who hung on a cross, and he became sin for us who knew no sin. We don't have to find a righteousness by keeping the law or else get our head cut off. And part of that was to show that you wouldn't keep the law and that we needed someone greater than us who had never broken the law to bring us under into their account and say, this guy's okay, this girl's okay because I kept the law for them even when they couldn't do it and I forgave them for every time they broke the law. Praise God. And so he is our Sabbath Rest, And you could write down in your notes Hebrews 4. It's a long passage, the whole chapter. Read Hebrews 4. It's a little bit technical. So it's hard to understand, but a little bit. But his point is that you could never enter this completed rest with Moses. Even when Joshua led you into the promised land, you didn't enter into the rest that I desired for you. Only in Christ. Even as today is still today, there's still time to enter into this rest. This Sabbath rest. So why do we not celebrate the Sabbath day? Because the resurrection of Christ exploded 
And Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law for us, requirements that we ourselves could never keep. And so when we talk about putting our faith and trust in Christ alone, we do that because He's the only one that that can appease the wrath of a holy God and that Jesus can look at Him, be our intercessor, be our Moses, and say, no God, you can't put your wrath down on these people, even though they broke the Sabbath, even though they broke all kinds of other laws, I kept it for them. I am now their Sabbath rest. They're in me. The resurrection of Christ, showing him to have this kind of authority. The model of the New Testament church gathering on Sunday morning. It's the Lord's Day, a day where we celebrate Christ. And then the teachings of the apostle is that it is no longer a special day that we keep, but this is all fulfilled in Christ. Praise God. So what kind of lessons do we take home with us today? From the seventh day, we have a model, a model for our work week. I heard on the news this week that France has given up their three-day wimpy work week, whatever it is. It's nonsense. My name is Marceau, so I can hack on the French if I want. What a joke. Let's go to a three-day work week. Then we can rest the next four. No, you know what? You'll mess up your household doing that. You work six days. You're productive six days. And then the seventh day, you rest. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that being on Sunday, a day when you slow down, a day when you cease from your other attention and labor. The things that you give your attention to all week long, don't do that on Sunday. A day when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. A day when we just revel in His grace A day when we're reminded that the priority and passion of my life is Jesus Christ. Is that true for you? What's your passion? Are you up there flying around today like a duck, looking for a good place to land? And you think that that's a good thing, what everybody else is doing down on that pond. It's a way that seems right unto a man, but it ends in death. God says, this is my way. My people are to be passionate about me. And we have that modeled even in the days of creation. We have it fulfilled even in Christ as he abolishes the one commandment that was never repeated in the New Testament. Oh, it's common you hear people, even a Seventh-day Baptist or Seventh-day Adventist, listen, you can't keep the law. It was a covenant with Israel. It's not for the church. Enter into his rest today. Celebrate being no longer in the bondage of sin and in Egypt's slavery. Some of you got some wild stories to tell about the days you spent in Egypt, don't you? That's over, in the, over your shoulder now. Now you're in Christ. And he's our firewall, isn't he? He's our Sabbath rest. Praise God. Let's bow in prayer, please. I'm so thankful for the grace of God. And it's by His blood that we're made clean. And we can know Him face to face through Jesus Christ. Do you know Him today, my friend? Have you entered into this Sabbath rest? And is Jesus Christ the priority and passion of your life? I hope so. If not, right now, if God is tugging at your heart, I invite you to confess your sin before Him and believe that He is the Christ, 
Let Him make you a new creation in Christ. Let Him be your advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He alone is our mediator. He alone is our rest. We can cease from the struggle of trying to be religious, trying to work hard enough to get to God. He's already done it for us. For you believers in the Lord Christ who've been walking with Christ for any amount of time, is He your passion? Is He the priority of your life? Do you begrudge fitting in resurrection morning worship? You would think that we under grace would worship even more with a joy and with a revelry that the Old Testament believers could not have known anything of because of Christ. God forgive us for how we've cluttered our lives with so many meaningless things and we're not known for our passion for Christ and the worship of Him. This place should be packed out on Sunday morning as we gather to revel in grace and find our Sabbath rest in Christ. Father, forgive us, change us, renew us, challenge us. And for the one that's seeking here, Lord, that rest from their sin that has so easily entangled them, I pray that they'll find release today and forgiveness. Call them to yourself. Bring them home. Bring them to your rest. May they plunge in today and be made clean. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.